and we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. As we have been, our theme has been and continues to be abounding in hope, and Peter teaches us about our lively hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He gives us hope in this life, hope through health trouble, hope through uh, reversals at work and financially, hope over sin, hope for eternity. He gives us hope no matter how you look at it. It's because of the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that you and I can have hope. And I would say that it is the only place that we can have hope in this life. We have looked at 1 Peter chapter 1. We've almost gotten all the way through it. And I'd like to review a few verses uh, just by beginning reading in verse 13 and reading through verse 25. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, Forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Lord, help us as we look at this passage and specifically dive into some application we've gone through this this passage verse by verse looking at words looking at meanings looking at context and lord this morning with your help i want to look at some immediate context that we are living in and how your word the word that endures forever should apply to us today lord help us with our our daily walk. Help us with what we're facing at this very moment. Lord, I pray you'd help me to be clear. May your spirit take control. Would you keep the devil out of this room and keep us from any distraction that would keep uh, this from being clear and helpful? And we just look to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are many good reasons to preach through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And one of those reasons is it keeps the preacher from being distracted from every whim and wish and headline that happens across uh, the TV screen or, or the newspaper. And some preachers have used their pulpits to chase every single political uh, ill, social ill, and they've neglected uh, preaching the whole counsel of God, just chasing one thing after the next, then of course... That's not something that we want to do. But on the other side, there's another extreme, and, and that is also when we find ourselves neglecting application to the times while preaching through verse by verse through a book and little to no application with where we are and what we're living. 
and what's going on. <clears throat> there should be a balance. Neither extreme is right. I believe that verse-by-verse verse expository preaching of the Word of God is what we need for this day, and I believe if properly applied in preaching, that verse-by-verse verse preaching through a book, it's amazing how God ties it into the times. It's amazing how things just come together and help us with what we are living in. Many people today claim that the preaching in their pulpit is not relevant. And some decry uh, expository preaching through a book as a safe preaching, convenient preaching, uh, burying your head in the sand so you don't have to deal with stuff going on. But I would say again that true biblical expository preaching is the most relevant kind of preaching. And the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And if the Holy Spirit is helping the preacher and is, if, the, if the preacher is willing to apply the, the, the exposition with the Holy Spirit's help, it will definitely be what is needed. Jay Adams said that preaching is defined simply with two words. And I like this definition. Preaching is truth applied. If you don't have application, you really don't have preaching. We're just putting things out in the air and anyone can do whatever they want with it and, or nothing at all. And, but, but preaching is saying, thus saith the Lord. Preaching is saying, here's what God's word says. Now, what are we going to do with it? And uh, without application, we have wasted everybody's time. Over the past several weeks, we have looked at and exposited 23 verses or so in 1 Peter. We've looked at several applications of these verses, and I feel uh, constrained that God would have us take what we've learned so far and apply it uh, specifically to where we are in this calendar year. I've been praying about this message for uh, quite some time and just waiting for the Lord to give liberty, and uh, the Lord has done that this week, and I want to preach with uh, clarity. I, I'm praying that God will help me to have just his words. Uh, but I, I, I do not want this month, the month of June, to come and go. And the verses that we have looked at uh, on holiness, on Jesus Christ, resurrection, his hope, uh, if, this, if this month were to come and go, and you have never heard from this pulpit how this applies specifically to this month, which is uh, celebrated as Pride Month in this country and around the world. Uh, if you can come to this church for the month of June, look at 1 Peter, and we never discuss where we're living, then I believe that expository preaching has fallen short. And it should help us with exactly what we are dealing with. Um, there are celebrations everywhere. You are seeing it. In fact, every June is different than the last June. Have you noticed that? Every June, it's a little bit more uh, at the forefront in our society. Every June, there's more stores that are decked out with the rainbow flags, and there's more coming into your workplaces. You know better than I do. You're out there. There's more pressures at school. I'm looking at the kids here. Uh, you guys are, are, are having more pressures at school to go along with the agenda of the mainstream media. And really, it's not just the media, it's the God of this world that's pushing an agenda. And it is not just about tolerance anymore. The agenda is about celebration and, dare I say, worship. Uh, what, what was originally the, the cry was, we want to be equal, we want to be tolerated, we want to be respected, and I believe that the LGBTQ community has gotten that, but it's not been enough. There will never be enough. Uh, sin never satisfies, and nothing ever satisfies short of the Lord. And now what is demanded of our culture is this. If you do not celebrate and honor and affirm and worship what we do, then you are a hateful individual that should be decried and dealt with. Our kids are dealing with a lot that I never dealt with as a kid, that many of you never dealt with as a kid. And my question this morning is this, how are Christians that make up Ann Arbor Baptist Church supposed to respond to this month and all that it represents? 
Also, if you are in the LGBT community or if you're watching online and you're a part of that community, I hope that this will also be of help to you. But I do want to say from the beginning, my primary target audience is helping my folks, helping our church, parents, grandparents, teenagers, children, to know how am I supposed to get through this month and, and approach this month and friends at school, what should be my posture? Uh, how do I sort through this? We need to talk about this as a church. And I want to offer support to you in your journey, your journey of faith. Now, I'll say that uh, many are saying today that since Christians are loving, affirmative, uh, I'm sorry, loving, affirming, supportive, inclusive, and gracious, that we should be at the helm of the pride parades. After all, Christians are all about love. Christians are all about welcoming. Christians are all about supporting. Christians are all about uh, you know, tolerance and inclusion and so forth. So why shouldn't our church lead the way in the gay pride parade? These are questions that Christians are having. These are questions that our teenagers are having right now. That's why I'm preaching this message. Now, many churches are leading the way in the pride parades, and they see it as their moral duty. I did quite a bit of reading online the writings of churches and why they're doing what they're doing, and many of them see it as their moral duty because we love people, and now morals have been redefined today. Churches are saying we've got to go after this, and and we've got to show love. We're going to talk about what is showing love from 1 Peter. Love one, another, love one another with a pure heart fervently, is what the Bible says. We, as a church, are unable to take part. We, as Christians, take morals very seriously, and we should not allow others to twist our morals and leverage them against us. And define our terms, like what is love? For us at Ann Arbor Baptist Church, it is simply a matter of this, folks. It's not about a political party. It's not about anything other than this book, the Word of God. What does the Bible say? And sometimes the Bible says things that cut against the grain. God has always cut against the, the grain of culture. Churches have always had to stand uh, individuals, Christian individuals have always had to stand. Look at David, look at Daniel, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at so many believers who had to stand. And do you think that you will be able to live your life for the glory of God and never be called upon to stand in your day? Oh, pastor, don't do this. We, this is not what our church should be doing. We shouldn't be taking a stand, we're, we're, we're going to push somebody away. We're so afraid of alienating someone or pushing someone away or offending someone. We ought, according to 1 Peter, be very concerned about offending a holy, righteous God who, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, is an impartial judge. And a judge that is to be feared. This month, June, LGBTQ month, Pride month. It's celebrated with pride. <clears throat> what was once associated with the closet and shame and now is now seen in this country as a moral virtue. Now, if you come out of the closet, it is a moment of courage and bravery. And, and uh, the, everything has, has, has been turned now that this month is about minorities. And if you are for any oppressed people, you'll be for Pride Month. If you love black people, if you love uh, Hispanics, if you love any minority, you will be about Pride Month. I saw one Pride uh, uh, flag. They keep having to remake the flag because they're so inclusive that they have to keep remaking it. And now there is a, a flag that has the Ukrainian uh, colors in it. Because, so if you love Ukraine, then you will celebrate Pride Month. And it's seen as this movement of love. But what does the Bible say? That's what we're going to see here this moment. To say anything against this is to be seen as unloving and hateful. No doubt someone will consider this message to be hate speech. I can't do anything about that except I am, by the grace of God, doing whatever I can do with the Spirit's help not to say anything hateful or hurtful 
in this message. I am trying to preach the Word of God and apply what we've seen to where we're living. Is it hateful to have an opinion formed by Scripture? What if we just take 1 Peter 1, 13-25 and apply that to this whole discussion? Will that be considered hateful? Would that be considered aggressive? People don't want Christians to be aggressive. Well, I will tell you what I consider to be aggressive, and one of the reasons why I'm preaching this message now is because there is an agenda that is aggressive. My kids came back from the library this week and said, Dad, in the, in the kids' corner, there was this big sign that said, He, she, it, or whatever you choose. What does that mean, Dad? You cannot go to the library. You cannot go to school. You can't send your kids to preschool without having everything that God wants for them to be called into question. Your identity is called into question. Your sexuality and kids are, are being approached with questions that they're not even ready to, 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 to work out. Kids are being groomed in this country. I saw in the news that last week there was in Dallas, Dallas, the drag, drag the kids to pride event. I watched the news uh, video. I wouldn't recommend that you do it necessarily. You will see men dressed as women dancing in thongs with children in a nightclub. And if that's not open pedophilia and grooming young kids, then I don't know what is. It was billed as a family-friendly event. Young kids were taking dollar bills and stuffing them in the outfits of the dancers. It was ironic to me, I had just seen another headline about a school teacher that had been fired and was being prosecuted, and rightly so, because this school teacher was having a relationship with a 17-year-old in the school they were sending emails back and forth to one another. Rightly so, prosecute. But how that gets prosecuted and this drag the kids to pride event does not is unthinkable. Politicians are making laws to allow minors to change their genders even apart from parental uh, approval. Send your kid off to school, you think that they're getting one thing, they come home and uh, they are a different person altogether. You know, it's interesting. Can a kid own a gun and shoot a gun when they're eight? No. Uh, own a gun, I should say. Can they drive a car? No. Can they drink alcohol? No. Can they change their sex? Yes, absolutely. They don't know how to do any of those other things. We wouldn't say they're old enough or mature enough to make any of those decisions, but they can do all of this because there is an aggressive agenda if anyone thinks that I'm being aggressive here in this pulpit, I would just say there is an aggressive agenda and it's coming toward us. If you don't fly a rainbow flag at your business, your home, your social media, you're seen as a hater. It used to be you had to say something hateful about them to be considered a hater. Now you're a hater if you don't wear the, the button they handed out at work. You're a hater if you don't have a flag on your Twitter profile. You didn't post your pronouns. Many of you are facing social and career repercussions. And I'm going to get into First Peter, but I do want to just, I want to call your attention at the beginning just why I'm preaching this message. There is an aggressive agenda coming our way, and we have to address it here. The San Francisco Gay Choir put out a song. It got so much backlash, they took it down. And then they later said, no, we stand by our song. They put it back up. So now if you YouTube it, you will find it. It's called, We'll Convert Your Children. They sing, you think we're sinful. You fight against our right. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. This is the lyrics from the song. We'll convert your children, happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you'll barely notice it. You can keep them from the disco, warn them about San Francisco, make them wear pleated pants, we don't care. 
will convert your children. The YouTube video shows about 50 of these guys singing this song with gusto, with enthusiasm. If you can stomach it, I would encourage you to listen to it, to watch it, to see exactly what is what we're dealing with in, 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 our, in our culture. We'll convert your children, we'll make them tolerant and fair, just like you're worried they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night and you'll be disgusted when they start learning things online you kept far from their sight. We'll convert your children, yes we will, reaching one and all. And it goes on and basically just ends. We're coming for them, we're coming for your children. The gay agenda is coming home, the gay agenda is here. This is the movement that once said, we just want tolerance, we just want to be respected. And they took it down and then they put the YouTube video back up and I looked through the comments and the comments of overwhelming support and approval to that song was unbelievable. That's aggressive. Someone's saying, maybe someone's thinking, Pastor, don't bring this up in church. Well, we have to. I don't want my kids to hear stuff somewhere else and never have, hear anything in church about where they're living and what they're dealing with. Uh, Disney is trying to teach my kids about this. There's a movie coming out in June, on purpose in June. It's called Lightyear. My kids love Toy Story. Lightyear is the first openly gay Disney Pixar film. The whole major plot point is about the, 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 part, the, the friend, the female friend of Buzz is a gay, uh, is a lesbian uh, woman and she finds her soulmate and she shows their wedding ring and, and they have a big kiss. And the kiss got struck from the film at first and then they said, no, I read the whole thing. You online, you read it yourself. The interview with the executive, they said, no, this is too important. We're putting the kiss back in. It's time. This is time for us to put this out. They're coming for the children. They said it in the song. This is what Disney has become. This is what we're hearing everywhere. And uh, people say, you need to stay in your lane as a church. My kids, your kids, are our lane. Train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it, the Bible says. Someone says, this is going to offend a lot of people. It's going to damage our witness in this community. I would say this, perhaps the fear of man and the lack of fear of God is doing more damage to our witness in our community. I want every child in this church to know that the Bible speaks of the issues of our day and specifically the past few sermons that we've been looking at. These words apply to a Christian worldview. I'm about to get into the, these applications, but very quickly I want to say this. A lot of Christians are starting to cave in and uh, every, every year we get more used to this, we get more inoculated, we cave in. And uh, this week there were five individuals who did not cave in, five baseball players. And uh, what are their names? Uh, I think their names are Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, David. You know, they, uh, they might lose their careers. I've been following these guys. Uh, their names are... Jason Adam, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson. Tampa Bay Ray, Rays told them they had to wear the Gay Pride logo. They refused to wear the logo. They were very nice about it. They were so respectful. They said nothing hurtful. They just said, we've prayed and fasted, and we cannot celebrate this with this patch. We hope, they said, we hope that the homosexual people will come to our, to our baseball game if they want to and feel safe and secure, uh, but we just cannot celebrate this why these guys understand something that this is about worship this is no longer about tolerance or respect this is about worship and they are being verbally assaulted online the, the they are saying uh, the espn was saying how these guys are trying to strip away the rights of people no they're not their rights are being stripped away and i would hope that christians across this country would recognize that we too need to take a stand not a hateful one not a caustic one. After all, we are no better than anybody else. I do not put myself up above anyone with any sin. I am a sinner saved by grace as I trust you are. We love everybody that Christ died for, but this does not mean that we can stand up and celebrate or support or affirm sin that put Christ on the cross. 
We don't celebrate sin, period. Not my sin, not your sin, not the sin of a particular community. doesn't matter if it's a minority or a majority. We stand with Jesus. So how does pers- First Peter help us have a biblical worldview in regards to this agenda. Some takeaways from verse 13. First of all, we already looked at verse 13. Wherefore, girdle thorns of your mind. Number one, I must prepare my, my, my mind for action and be alert. I must prepare my mind for action and be alert. We as Christians need to know how to think concerning the pressure we face today. And we need to think about who is influencing our mind. There is a barrage from social media, from movies, from songs, from radio personalities. There's a barrage. And if you are not preparing your mind for action, you are being influenced more than you know. There are these slogans that we hear today, like love is love. Sounds great. Except it's not in the Bible. In the Bible, it reads God is love. Therefore, God defines what love is. And God, in this passage, says it says he is holy. So that means love is holy. And love without holiness is not love. You want to be unloving? You want to talk about hate today? Do something in the name of love that is actually hurtful and detrimental and you are twisting love. Uh, You hear the slogan, unconditional love equals unconditional acceptance. And Christians are walking away with these slogans. You hear them long enough and eventually they just stick. Unconditional love does not equal unconditional acceptance. Unconditional love means I'm sticking with you no matter what. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. I will help you. But I cannot accept that which is hurting you. Unconditional acceptance actually undermines unconditional love. If I have unconditional love for you, I will not accept certain things that are destroying you. Jesus loved and accepted all sinners just as they were. Yes, he accepted all sinners just as they were, and he transformed them into something that they could never have conceived of, a new creature in Christ. Let's not leave that part off. Don't judge! Don't judge! Unfortunately, this passage says God is an impartial judge, and I am not here to judge anybody, and I will not be here to speak my own words. I am here to read some words of Scripture and let God be the judge. Don't hate! And Christians, oh boy, I'm a Christian. Christians don't hate. But again, these things are being leveraged against us. It's not hateful to say something out of love that is in someone's best interest. We need to be able to think clearly, prepare our mind for action, be alert, because Satan, the angel of light, is beginning to make darkness light. And light he is putting as darkness. Immorality is now celebrated as morality. One of the most brave things you can do in this country today is what? According to the culture, abort your baby. That's brave, that's courage, that's liberating, that is what a real woman is. No, God put instincts in a woman to want to protect that baby and help that baby, and it's all twisted and set light for darkness and darkness for light and celebrated. We have to engage our minds for action. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. We've seen this now for several weeks. First Peter is telling us, think, Christians. Don't just be carried away in the onslaught of, of, of words that finally find their mark. Immorality is now celebrated with, as morality. You know, you've got the abortion issue. This is not a message about that. But you've got people who now are doing whatever they want to do in whatever lifestyle they want to enjoy. And they're saying that it is the most brave, moral thing they could do. Wicked, godless deeds are seen as acts of bravery and valor. And scriptures forbidding these practices are twisted or ignored altogether. What does the Bible say? Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them. That is a strong warning in Scripture. Woe! We cannot, uh, we cannot 
control what other people do. And we will fight for the liberties of anybody in this country to be able to make personal choices. But that does not mean as a Christian church, a Christian community, we have to go along with agendas and celebrate those wicked agendas and call them good. And I would say, Christian, look out. This woe is coming at you if you find yourself at the wrong side of this. Woe unto them that call evil good doesn't say, unless you're a Christian and you're just trying to keep a good testimony with people at work. Be careful, Christian. 2 Timothy 3, 1 says, This know also that in the last day perilous times shall come. They're here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. We have a whole month of that. Blasphemers, plenty of that too. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. And I want you to hear this, teenagers especially. We're trying to uphold the good word of God. His law is good. His word is good. We're trying. There's none good but God. But we are wanting to follow in the good footsteps of Jesus and we are being despised for it and you will be too. And don't cave because being good is being redefined and now you don't want to feel bad so I'll follow their good and forsake what is good. Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, there it is, but denying the power thereof. In other words, they may seem to be godly. Look at all these virtues, so-called virtues of the day. Boy, if, you're, if, you, if you celebrate Pride Month, you're celebrating freedom from oppression and you're celebrating liberty and you're cel- everything is, is couched that way, but it's a lie. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Folks, realize that nobody in the Pride Movement is doing this because God beckoned them to do so. Or for the glory of Almighty God, it is for the glory of the God of this world, it's for the glory of man. And the Bible tells us four words, from such turn away. And that's where the rubber meets the road. You cannot just be swept along in the tide of culture and please the Lord. Number one, I must prepare my mind for action. I must be alert. Number two, I must settle my hope completely on the grace of God. Set your hope in the grace of God. Hope to the end for the grace that is coming to you. So to the LGBTQ community, I would say this. Your only hope for true love and satisfaction and fulfillment in this life and beyond is to set your faith and hope completely on the grace of God. No relationship, no sexual gratification, No surgery or operation, no false identity will be able to answer what you are seeking. You will be eluded at every turn. It is only Jesus who promises to fill everything that you need, every need that you need supplied, he promises to give. And to the Christian, feeling pressure to cave to the movement, stand strong. Set your hope in the grace of God to see you through. The only hope for them is for us to continue to uphold the word of God and hold the ropes. Do you realize by staying where God has put you, you're holding the ropes for those who are slipping away? And while it seems like, no, we're, 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 we're too hard over here. We're too, we're, we're being misunderstood over here. They think we're haters. They think that we're, you know, just, just we're, they think we're immoral. We can't have that. I've got to go closer to them. I'll wear the badge at work. I'll put the thing on my Facebook profile. I'll, I'll wear the shirt down to the, to the, to the mall. I, I want them to know that I affirm them. You are not affirming anything of God and you're not helping them get closer to God. What you are helping is to continue this movement away from God. And you may do so at the detriment of your own children, the next generation. I must set my hope completely in the grace of God. And number three, we learned this already. All of this we've learned. We're just going over verse 13, now verse 14. I must realize that as an obedient child of God, I will not fashion myself according to my former lusts 
and ignorance. It's right there in your Bibles, verse 14. He said, this is not what obedient Christians do. Obedient Christians don't go back to the former lusts when they were ignorant. No. No, we stay where God has put us. Oh, but, 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 but I got friends over there. I got family over there. I got to go back. I, gotta, I have to be like them to reach them. It's funny. Jesus never saw it that way. He never saw the gospel so powerless that it needed help from you and me to compromise. No, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers, effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind. Okay, we just spoke of several sins. And again, let me just say clearly, this is not a message to berate one sin. This is a message to call clarity to a group of sins. But our position as a church, the Bible position is, God's against sin. Period. All sin. And here's a list of sin. And yes, in this list of sins, all kinds of different sins, you do have effeminate, and you do have those who are abusers of themselves with mankind. And, and you know, people say that we are hateful. I did not write that. And if I were to write it, I probably would have couched it nicer. But I'm not God. And I will not stand here before you and apologize for him. Sorry for God. Sorry, that's a little harsh. God didn't know about 2022. God wrote it, and we have to bow the knee to him. That's why I say this is about worship. Who are you worshiping? And Christians, don't wince when you see that in the Bible. Anything God wrote was there for a purpose because he wants us to get truth loud and clear because there is a cost. And he says, abusers of themselves with mankind, and he gives several others, shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now that is not a message of hate. That is a message of hope. And God is saying, look, if you're covetous, if you're a thief, if you're a reviler, if you're involved in sexual sin of any kind, heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, anything else you can dream up, it's all sin and all of it people have been saved from. Of such were some of you. We are not saying that we are better than anyone in the LGBTQ community. People say, oh, that's a homophobic church. I can tell you that I know there, are, there were some people, there have been people who you could classify as homophobic who have left this church because they have an unnatural, unbiblical hatred for the sin of homosexuality. And I will not preach that. And the Bible does not teach that. And so homophobia has not, has not been able to continue here at Ann Arbor Baptist Church. We are not a homophobic church. We are a God-fearing church. That's our only phobia. By the grace of God, I believe that anyone can be reached with the gospel because that is what this verse just said. And such were some of you. Folks, we want to reach out to the LGBTQ community today with hope. And for those of you who have loved ones, and for those of you who have friends, and those of you who work there, there is hope. And the hope is not you and I softening things down, covering things up, responding in fear. The hope is to continue to preach the gospel that Jesus Christ saves, He delivers, He frees, He liberates. And only through Jesus do we have true meaning. Such were some of us. Number four, I must recognize that God has called me to have a lifestyle that is holy, separate from sin and set apart to God as God defines holy. You know, God, when he, when he, when he gave us this verse, he knew that we would, we would probably mess it up. And so if you look there at the passage, it says, be holy in all manner of conversation. And then the next verse says, because it's written, be holy for I am holy. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just say, be holy in all manner of conversation? Because you and I would define that our way. 
And so he says, that's not good enough. I got to give you another verse. Let me explain what I meant by be holy in all manner of conversation, lifestyle. Be holy according to God's standard of holiness. A man came up to me after I was preaching and he said, I don't believe in a God who would convict me of my sin. And I said, with all due respect, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. He is holy. People want to talk about inclusion versus exclusion. Holiness, by definition, has exclusivity in it. The idea, the concept of holiness deals with exclusion. The word means separate from and set apart unto. God invites all, but all must come His way through Jesus, and all must come humbly. It is adequately named this month. It's called the month of pride. And that's not the way to God. It never has been and never will be. He is holy. He's called me to lead a life that is separate from sin, set apart to God. Number five, quickly, I must fear God rather than man because God is a holy father and an impartial judge. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Christians here recognize you are being snared, but the only safety you have is to rest in the trust you have in Jesus. I must fear God rather than men because he's a holy father and an impartial judge. Number six, I must not tread, verses 18 and 19, I must not tread upon the precious blood of Christ, the price of my redemption. You know, in 1 Peter 2, 7, it says, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. It says that you should show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Don't get too comfortable here. We're strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There are things that are being celebrated in this month that war against the soul. And we are, said, we are told to abstain from those things. Why? Because of who we are? Because of what we are? No, because He is precious. Is He precious? Is He precious enough to take a stand? Number seven, I must remember that my faith and hope is only in God. Verse 20 and 21. Not in social justice. My faith is not in political reset or reform. My, my faith is not found and my hope is not found in gender uh, identity. It's not found in some ideology. My faith and hope are only in God. My faith and hope also is not in getting everybody to like me. I wouldn't be preaching this if that was the end goal. And you and I have got to realize it's not all about not making anybody upset and getting everyone to like you it is about pleasing Jesus Christ. My faith and hope is only in Him by His grace. Number eight, verse 22, teaches us that I must love others out of a pure heart fervently. And this is the balance we looked at last time, that love and a pure heart go together. You can't have love without a pure heart. You cannot, and don't just talk about a pure heart without love. They're inseparable. So love tells the truth. Love warns as well as affirms. Love sums up the law, the Bible says. Love God and love others. That's the law. Jesus said it. Don't argue with me. Jesus said, love sums up the whole law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so... How can we talk about a lawless love when love itself sums up the law? And people are saying, hey, if you guys love the LGBTQ community, you will just affirm them. You will not say anything unloving. The most loving thing you can do is teach people the truth and speak the truth in love. Purity and love are inseparably wed. I must love others out of a pure heart fervently. Number nine, Verse 23, I must embrace God's eternal word as the only authority for my life. Did you catch that? It's not CNN or Fox News. 
It's not going to be found on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. It is not going to be in the classroom necessarily, but you can find answers in God's Word. So big-time answers to big-time questions, I should say. What about gender change? Does, by, does, does the Bible speak to any of these things? Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. I must embrace God's eternal word as the only authority for my life. And this is what God has said, Matthew 19, 4. Because somebody says, that's Old Testament. Okay, fine. Matthew 19, 4, Jesus said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And you have people saying today that there's no such thing anymore. until they're dying at the hospital and they need a life-saving surgery and they have to come out with it. And they will. I'm a man. I'm a woman. Thank you. Now we can proceed. God's Word speaks to gender change. It speaks to homosexuality. I, I read uh, the, the little thing on, on front, Forefront Church, New York City, their website, and they said this, when it comes, this is a quote, Forefront Church, New York City, when it comes to biblical hermeneutics, and inclusivity, our church skipped over Scripture's famous clobber passages. There is much more in our Scriptures that speak to inclusion. And so they went on to just say, forget the clobber passages. We're just going to talk about God's love. Folks, we cannot go along with this. This is not love. Leviticus 18 says, in regards to homosexuality, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It's abomination. And I know somebody says, well, that's Old Testament. Folks, did you realize that anything that God said was abomination in the Old Testament is still abomination in the New Testament? There are a couple of things that were affirmed as abomination that God specifically changed in relation to food. Things that were abominable to eat he did lift some of those things. And if God ever changes an abomination, he will have a scripture verse saying, this particular abomination is no longer abomination for these reasons. And if there is not that, then whatever abomination is in the Old Testament stands. By the way, pride is said to be an abomination, and it still is today. Idolatry, pride, sexual immorality, lying lips, froward heart, diverse weights, and, and the prayer of one who does not hear the law are, are called abominations. And God dealt with this very, very severely. Another Christian website that was affirming Pride Month said that Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of their sin of homosexuality. They were destroyed because they were unrestrained in their lusts. But it says nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that they were involved in homosexuality. And I would say... Let's look at the scriptures. Second Peter 2.6. And I'm saying this because some of you, some of my teenagers, some of my kids are going to talk to these Christians. I'm not so concerned about the world anymore. I'm concerned about the Christians who have imbibed the pride and are teaching our kids stuff that's not true. Second Peter 2.6. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned with them and overthrow them, making them an example under those that should after live ungodly. So what kind of ungodliness? Jude 1.7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, so that's part of their sin was fornication, heterosexual sin, and going after strange flesh, that's homosexual sin, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Again, I did not write it, I don't make the rules. I am not the judge. God is the judge. But I want our people to recognize God does speak to this. And this is a matter that he speaks to very clearly, Old Testament and New Testament. Say, boy, that's hateful stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible I still don't understand. I can't say I understand hell. I can't say I understand how a righteous God would send a soul to hell. I can't understand eternity. But I am not in this based on what I can figure out with my brain and my intellect and what I approve of, I bow the knee to God. He is the righteous judge. If he says there's a hell, then there's a hell. If he says here's what we deserve for our sin, then that is where it stands. 
We have to deal with Romans 1 before we can be done this morning. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest to them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's given enough revelation even in creation for us to understand that he is there. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and begins to describe the idolatry that they did in the folly of their ignorant heart. And it says, wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their bodies between themselves. God calls sin, sexual sin outside the bonds of scriptural marriage, he calls it dishonoring your bodies between yourselves. Heterosexual sin or homosexual sin outside the bonds of marriage who change the truth of God into a lie. That's happening today. Christians, if you believe in love, you'll believe this. Christians, if you believe in bravery, you'll believe this. Christians, if you support minorities, you have to support this. No, they've changed the truth of God into a lie, and they've worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. We're speaking there of what we would call today lesbianism. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. We're speaking of what we call today homosexuality. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. We're speaking of things like AIDS and HIV and STDs. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, that means an unapproved, rejected, or cast away mind, to do those things which are not convenient. And while they do this, they do it in the name of pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. I did not write that, but I need us to understand as believers, pride is an abomination and celebrating that which God says is unseemly and vile. Those are the words of scripture. We ought to take very careful consideration how we as Christians approach these matters. What about cross-dressing? Is that in the Bible? Yes. Deuteronomy 22.5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. What about body modification or mutilation? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us, if you're a Christian, your body is the temple of God, bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which, is our, which are God's. The whole idea of my body, my choice, is another affront to the God who purchased that body with his blood. I want to express myself. No, you are called to express God. Isaiah 3.9, the show of their countenance does witness against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul for they have rewarded, their, rewarded evil unto themselves. I want to wrap this up with a couple of takeaways. First of all, for the LGBTQ community, maybe there's someone here, maybe there's someone watching online. All I'd have to say is this, you're a sinner just like I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And if you come to Christ, he will forgive your sin, make you a new creature in Christ. There is hope for anyone in sin. Such were some of you, but you have to humble yourself. You have to admit that what he says is true and what he calls sin is sin. There must be a repentance, that change of mind and agreeing with God, confessing your sin 
and coming to Jesus to be your substitute for the punishment that you deserve just like I did in 1992 when I came to Christ to have my sins forgiven. I am no better than anyone in any community. But I do know the Lord Jesus is my Savior, and you can too. Nothing you're looking for in this life will give any satisfaction. Jesus alone can heal your hurt and give your life meaning. You've got to give him the opportunity. So many people aren't getting surgeries and they don't do what they were supposed to do. They don't satisfy. Here's this relationship. Here's this expression. Here's this new identity. I tell you, identity in Christ is where it's at. To have his mind in me. Uh, so much of our mental health struggles are, account, are, 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 are not on account of abuse of people who don't understand, alleged to be so. No, our mental health is oftentimes the result of the result of our sin and not doing things God's way. And that's the same for me. When I don't handle my sin God's way, I struggle mentally and emotionally too. For the Christian, I want to say, gird up the loins of your mind and think biblically in these days. Do not just go along with the culture. Do not capitulate to those who would intimidate you by trying to turn the truth of God into a lie. You have the Bible and you had better know what it says. But as we know what it says, we need to take every word and one of them is love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so would we have compassion? And would we have that heart to, to see healing and help? We're not trying to push anybody away today. On the contrary, we're trying to invite everybody to come to Jesus, to walk with us and to grow with us. He will meet you where you are, but he will not leave you there. He will change you. He will give you his saving grace. Remember Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I want to ask, are you willing to stand? Or are you going to bow? They're handing out buttons at work. Everybody's going to wear a shirt on Gay Pride Shirt Day at work. At the fitness club, you get a shirt on the way in the door. Wear this today. You guys are seeing it. I'm speaking to people who are living this and you're feeling pressure. And if you don't do it, you're going to be accosted and there's fear. It's time to fear God. It's time to believe something that you actually believe. That impacts what you do. No one has any respect for a Christian who says they believe something but will bow and cave at the first sight of pressure and discomfort. This is your moment to stand for the gospel, for the LGBTQ's community, holding the ropes for them so they can get God's word and get saved for your family and for the future. This is how we abound in hope, by taking the word of God, taking it at his word. These are difficult days, but this is a day of opportunity. Lord, I pray you'd help us as a people, as a church, to know your word, to be students of it, and let your word uh, teach us how we should act, how we should respond, and, and what you'd have us to say in every situation. Lord, help, help us to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and recognize we cannot worship anything but our God. We cannot worship and bow the knee to an agenda or an ideology that is contrary to your word or protect our young people protect lord our families help us to be zealous and on guard and i pray lord that we would see inroads into every community including this one that is celebrated in this month of pride lord humble us break us Bring us to yourself, I pray. As the panel bows, let's take a moment. You take a moment to talk to God about your need. Your need to stand.
your need to not capitulate or compromise, your need to engage boldly those that God has put in your life. Maybe there is someone here who is not saved. Maybe somebody from the LGBTQ community who is not saved. I'd love to talk to you and tell you there is hope in Jesus. Seek him, he'll be found of you. Please be found through his word. join me still I'll follow the world behind me the cross before me no turning back no turning back so John would you close us in a word of prayer tonight I'd love to see you back at six o'clock as we break down uh, the message in our life groups and uh, just see how God will help us to to engage in our day so John would you close us please